hello and welcome to Clappercast, a weekly discussion of all things cinema. I'm your host, Carson Tamar, and today I'm happy to be joined by Alina Faltz. Hello. And Paul Price. Hello. So we have a lot to get through today on Clappercast. We have some films nominated for Golden Globes, a film that probably should be nominated for Golden Globes, and we're going to make our official Golden Globe predictions. We're not qualified really to do that, but we're going to do it anyway, and hopefully you're going to listen and enjoy. But first, you guys feel that it's getting cold in the air it's getting a little chilly i think it's time we go on vacation why don't we start things off by taking a trip down to florida with vista del mar and barb and star go to vista del mar i'm star short for starbra assume yours is barbara nope just barb plain old barb I want to thank Barb and Star for hosting tonight's Talking Club. And for making their hot dog soup. I like the salt. I like the hot dog. It's not as runny as it usually is. Ah, what does she throw? I don't know. Oh, she gives me bigger teeth. Love big teeth. She loves big teeth. Even if it's just two eyes on a bunch of teeth. It would be so nice. Look, my new phone case. <laughs> I love it. It's like I'm listening to the ocean. Wait, we don't have cell phones. I know I'm going to take it home and glue it to our landline. Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar is the story of best friends, Barb and Star, who leave their small Midwestern town for the first time to go on vacation in Vista Del Mar, Florida, where they soon find themselves tangled up in adventure, love, and a villain's evil plot to kill everyone in the town. Uh, Paul, why don't you start out with this one? What were your thoughts on Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar? Um, I really think this has a pathway to best picture and here's why. Um, but no, actually, um, it was, it's one of my favorite movies in a while and especially my favorite comedy. Um, it has a real Austin Powers, Zoolander kind of feel. I've watched it three times. I will definitely be watching it a fourth time. Um, and everyone I know who I sent the, uh, link to has all, watched it um it's like multiple times um i think it's one of those movies that builds upon the humor and it feels like being around friends which most comedies have gotten to where they're a little cynical um i mean i care a lot is considered a comedy right now um but it just has a real freshness to it i think everyone's having a great time and it feels perfect for right now even though it was shot in 2019 because we do miss just going and meeting people and hanging out and spending this like you know pre-quarantine party atmosphere yeah no I pretty much agree with everything you said doesn't take that hard when one of my favorite shows is Golden Girls and one of my favorite movies of all time is Mamma Mia 2 here we go again to see like yes this is very very me Um, It is just pure enjoyment. The characters and the performances are so much fun. This has the banter of something like Booksmart and where I don't think it's as smart as something like Booksmart. It reminded me a lot where it's just, you love being in this world. You love spending time with these characters. They're the perfect craft of like, clearly they are a bit annoying, but they're never actually annoying. It's just enjoyment from their annoyance um, that they cause everyone else around them. Um, It is so much fun. I will say just a personal issue I have with this is I'm never a huge fan of the storyline of, oh, the two Midwestern innocent people like, oh, have to stop the plot to kill everyone and they have to save the world or save the community. That never fully works for me where I think this does a decent job 
um, you know, kind of surpassing some of those uh, expectations and doing, you know, it's not ruined by that at all. I do feel like it's a little bit overwritten there. I don't really need to see these fun characters like go out and stop and save the world. I just kind of want to see them hang out at the resort. And I don't really know who it's for. I think if you're not vibing with these characters and with this resort and with this world that it's creating, I don't think you're going to be saved by this, you know, crime plot line and I think if you're vibing with that world you don't need the crime plot line again I don't think it ruins the film but it's just one of those small nitpicks where I'm like yeah I'm personally not a big fan of that but it doesn't ruin the film it's complete fun and yeah exactly what we need right now I am gonna rain on both of your parades because I didn't like it because I'm a hater <laughs> and I don't know why I didn't like it because it seems like something that would be up my alley because I like Austin Powers and I really like Zoolander. Like those are movies that are my sense of humor. And I think I just didn't like it because I don't like Kristen Wiig. So like the whole time I was watching it, I was like, I just don't want to spend time with these white women. I really don't. <sighs> See, that's so funny to me because um, <laughs> I don't particularly like Golden Girls. I don't particularly like Mamma Mia or those kind of movies. But something about this, and it may be actually what you, uh, Carson, were saying you didn't like, was I liked that it took this movie and I was so ready to hate it. Like, I remember putting it on and being like, I am going to groan through this whole thing. I'm not ready to watch old women, like, hang out. And then that opening scene starts and I was like, oh, okay, this is going to be absolutely insane. And... Um, I mean, I also think I watched it with, like, three glasses of wine the first time. Um, so my brain's uh, initial like uh, need to clamp down on something that's dumb, uh, like the hot dog soup or something like that. Like the first time I saw it, I definitely went like, oh, this is a like stupid joke. But um, letting yourself kind of just be like, okay, let's see where it goes. I think opened my enjoyment more. And I think I've enjoyed it more uh, the second and third time far more than the first just because there is a familiarity you're not surprised by anything and you're not going oh if you know I would like it better if it wasn't whatever it is you know exactly what you're getting into I will say it's helped by being just batshit insane like there's a lot of films from this genre and this thing is like genuinely insane there's talking crabs the editing is wild like little things like the hot dog soup you mentioned like continually this film is just batshit crazy but I think that works a lot in its favor and both in plot and editing. Uh, there's no other film really to come out in recent memory, even from this genre that feels like this. It just feels like it's continually having fun and just trying new shit and where that doesn't necessarily make like, I wouldn't say this film is like well-crafted. It's not like a technical Marvel, you know, it, it creates a fun experience, which is what it's going for. So like if, if you're judging the film based on its technical aspects, you're just, I mean, you're doing it wrong. I think it's helped though in the comedic department by just being fucking crazy. Uh, actually, I will disagree with you there. I think some of the production design and costuming is some of the best I've seen in years. Sure, well, it, sure. But like, I, I think that like, you know, these are often discounted, but like you look at that and it has a sense of style. There's a lot of movies that just feel, you know, you could have done this without the colors or without, and it still would have been funny but the exaggerated aspect was I think a specific choice that builds on something like 
the even the color temperature and things like that I feel like really set a vibrant mood that I am kind of missing in movies that have kind of gone away in the past couple of years that you only see really in Marvel movies anymore. I agree. Like it, they did a really good job of making the movie like very vacation vibes. Um, and that was good. I, don't, I think we're skipping. Yeah. Uh, oh, I was going to say, I think we're skipping over the fact that Jamie Dornan is in this and clearly trying to pull a like Channing Tatum style, like I am now a comedic actor. And I think it actually works better than uh, a lot of other people's have. Uh, he's His really good in this. His seagull song is so funny. That was my favorite part of the movie, the seagull song. It's <laughs> a, a bit on Liongate, Lionsgate for uh, kind of screwing up their campaign. Because when you look at the uh, best songs this year, it really could have had a chance when Wuhan flu is possible. Like... <laughs> <laughs> Edgar's prayer definitely had a chance. Uh, well, which is they only really... they only promoted the I Love Booby song, which is like this fucking tiny little, like not that good of a song in the film. Well, and it was already past the time. Yeah. Um, like I understand that they wanted to do that release, but I should have been getting a, you know, or my family should have been getting a screener back in December to be like, hey, this movie's here, it exists. If it had gotten, you know, a big push, I think it would have done very well at the Globes. And, um, you know, I think it would have at least shown up in song for uh, the Oscars. Yeah, I'm not sure why they, like, waited so long to release it. Because, like, there are parts of this movie that I do like. And I'm normally not a big musical fan, but most of the songs in this I did think were funny. So, I don't know. It seems like they really missed the boat. On. I that was not an intentional button, but you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even catch that. <laughs> Missed the ban- banana boat, you could say. Yeah. Uh, two points. Number one, wish I could see this with like people in a theater. I think this was one of those films where it's just like it's a lot of fun at home. I wish I saw this at a packed, like a full packed AMC with a bunch of old white women, because I'm sure we would have <laughs> had a fantastic fucking time. Second, Andy Garcia. You were amazing, Amamiya 2, here we go again. You, I screamed when you entered the camera here. I was like, oh my God, is that you? It is you, you're great. Small role here, Best Supporting Actor, Oscars 2022. You won't be eligible, but I'll still push you. Alina, do you have any other negative things you want to say about the best movie of the year? No, like, honestly, <laughs> I feel like if Kristen Wiig was not in it, I would have liked it better. I'm purely just a hater. Like, That's I know so there's something about her I don't like and I don't know what it is but she is just like one of my I just don't like her Uh, I don't think she's funny at all see I love Kristen I yeah I was about to say I love Kristen Wiig and she hasn't been in anything I've liked like I went and looked at her like entire filmography and I was like oh this is like the first thing I've like been like yes this had to be Kristen Wiig um and it does feel like a, a long SNL sketch, so I guess that's why it works for her. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I you were writing me last night that you didn't like Bridesmaids. And I don't particularly like yeah. Bridesmaids. I find it a little too crass. And I think that's one of the things that with this movie, um, as being a kid that was like raised in a religious household, this is pretty clean. Like you yeah. go watch Austin Powers or you go watch Doolander, the sex jokes are coming fast and quick. And this, there's like one or two that you'd be like, 
ooh, maybe not. But like for the most part, it's a clean PG-13, which is, you know, refreshing because mm-hmm. they could have done anything they wanted. I mean, I think there's for me, quite a sex. lot of sex to be clear. Like quite yeah. a lot. Oh no, of, there like, definitely <laughs> is. But, but not compared like sex to like jokes. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Like I literally was noticing that like there's no sex scenes that they easily could have added in there and are in both uh, Zoolander and um, Austin Powers and those kind of like more pushing the limit of PG-13. Yeah, I was just going to say that like, I think Kristen Wiig like always plays like very unlikable and annoying characters to me. So like I conflate her with being like annoying and unlikable in real life. So just every time she's in something, I'm just like, oh, it's you again. Ugh. And like, I don't know, I'm sure she's fine, but like, I don't think she's funny. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, there goes the Kristen Wiig stands. <laughs> well, life can't be a vacation for everyone. Some people have harder lives. Let's go to Nomadland. That was a horrible transition. <laughs> We're one of those lucky people that can travel anywhere. Yes, ma'am. I and they sometimes call you nomads. My mom says that you're homeless. Is that true? No, I'm not homeless. I'm just houseless. Not the same thing, right? No. My husband worked at the USG mine in Empire. I was a substitute teacher. It is a tough time right now. You may want to consider early retirement. I need work. I like work. In Nomadland, a woman in her 60s embarks on a journey through the Western United States after losing everything in the Great Recession, living as a van-dwelling modern-day nomad. I might as well start here. This was my favorite movie of 2020. I think this is a five-star masterpiece. Uh, I know not everyone on the call agrees with that statement, but you know, we'll get, we'll get to him later on. Um, Yeah. I think this film was fantastic. Uh, Chloe Ja is such, I think an incredible voice, Uh, a confidence. I've not seen her first film, but she has such a confidence with her unique vision with films. I really enjoyed. uh, Oh my gosh. I love how just when I was going to say it, it goes away from me. Oh boy. The writer, really like the writer. Not as much as everyone else. Didn't give it five stars, but really like that film. Uh, Nomadland, I think, is her masterpiece. She paints a haunting portrait of a lost America. Frances McDormand is quite good. I will say it's quite slow. Not a lot happens. It's more just Frances McDormand kind of living her life, going around, meeting people, hearing their stories, kind of capturing that like this is a side of America not traditionally captured, which I think works really well. Cinematography is stunning. Uh, The score I think is really underrated. It's not often something that like the film highlights, but it is really good when it's there. Um, I just think this is incredibly powerful. And I think it plays so well in the time of COVID showing how fragile America is. The Great Recession in the film, you know, makes very big note of this um, with empire and, you know, what happened with that situation, how fragile American life can be. And in the time of COVID where so many people lost their jobs at the snap of a finger, you know, entire industries are dying just out of nowhere, just because of, you know, the COVID situation, I think it plays remarkably well. It's remarkably relevant. Um, And I think this film is just remarkable. I think it is a five out of five masterpiece. It's the only film I gave five stars last year. And uh, rewatching it this morning, I I stand by that statement. So I gave it, I haven't rewatched it since TIFF because even though it's like out on Hulu in America this weekend, it did not 
do that in Canada because we don't have Hulu and apparently it's not coming out on like until April here with on Disney Plus, which I find very bizarre and I don't know why, but like whatever. So I did not have the chance to rewatch it, but from what I recall watching it at TIFF, I feel like I got caught up in a lot of the hype and I did really enjoy it. But now that it's like coming out to the wider public, I like am seeing more of why people wouldn't like it and more of the criticisms and things like that, which I find very interesting. Like a lot of people have been criticizing it as like poverty porn. And I think that's something Paul is gonna elaborate on. I saw it a couple months ago and I didn't like it, but I thought of it more as like, it's just not for me. Um, like it's a tone poem, kind of like it's a little slow. I watched it again last night and I really like the uh, the poverty porn aspects and the just feeling of like knowing who it's made for, like the, the you know, the film viewing kind of like elitist types watching this and going, oh, look at these like poor people. I sympathize with them moving on. Um, it just, it really bugs me. And it was really noticeable after the uh, PR packages were released uh, that, which had like fresh fruits and all this and vegetables and everything for, you know, people in LA who were already using, you know, uh, Instacart and everything. It just feels like the movie was made for the rich to play poor for a little bit. Um, and it just, it bugs me. Uh, <laughs> I can see it as a technical interest. Um, and the fact that it kind of uses this documentary and real life aspect, but you know, Bernie did that years ago. Um, the Richard Linklater movie of using real people interacting as themselves. So it's not anything like new. It just feels mean. Look, no one is going to argue that sending fresh fruit and food to rich Hollywood people might not be a good look for the film about poverty <laughs> and people who don't have homes and like don't like are struggling for food and money. No one's going to argue that. Uh, but I think it I think it is like worthy to like look at this film and what it actually is trying to do. I don't think you can acknowledge you know, this side of America. And I didn't know about the side of America. My vision of van life and what I think of van life is all the white people on Instagram who like live in vans and travel around California and post like their dogs and like, oh, I love living in a van and now I have my fucking stove in here. You know, like that's my image of van life. And I think it's important to show because I don't think you can start the conversation surrounding how do we help these people? How do we, you know, acknowledge this even if you know are supposed to help them. Um, without acknowledging that they exist in the first place. And it kind of reminds me of my like thoughts on films about like the LGBTQ plus experience who cast non-LGBTQ plus actors in the lead role. You need something at the end of the day to get audiences to view a film. If Frances McDormand has to be there to be the lens and you're giving real people their chance to speak their authentic experiences, you know, I think that's a trade-off I'm willing to make. I think it would be grosser to cast actors to also be playing poor people and trying to give these inauthentic experiences. You know, I, I don't really think, you know, if a film takes place in a prison and, no, you know, they're not people, the actors not being, you know, people from the prison like it's gross I think like there is value in saying like yes how does it handle itself could it be poverty porn I think that's absolutely a valid take someone could have 
But ultimately, I think it's important to see like this film is acknowledging that these people are here. It's showcasing them because other than, you know, people in LA, these Hollywood elites or, you know, film Twitter elites or whatever, they wouldn't be thinking about these people on the average day to day. They wouldn't know what the hell happened in empire. They wouldn't know these things to be truths of the American experience for some people. So showing that on screen is how you start the conversation. And like I said, if Francis McDormand wasn't here, if this wasn't a Chloe Jaw proje uh, project, they wouldn't be watching this film if this was just a tiny little indie documentary. It would go unnoticed. Like, yes, could it be like theoretically better? Absolutely. But I think it has a worthy heart. Yeah, I've been thinking that this movie definitely could have just been a documentary, especially since there's already real life fan people in this. But you're totally right that documentaries especially don't um, get as much recognition compared to like, uh big like awards movies and, and this is exactly what this movie is it's going to get a lot of attention during award season to make the rest of us feel good about ourselves <laughs> well and to piggyback off that though is the average person gonna watch this like i can't i can't think of one of my friends i could be like oh go watch nomadland and they wouldn't write back like fuck you like what did you make me just watch it's a slow movie made for film people so to say that, you know, um, this is made to show experience to a small group of people, um, if it was a more engaging film in terms of like the plot or the narrative or something, I could see what you're talking about, but it's kind of, it's made for film people. And <laughs> so it's going to have a small audience, even if it, you know, uh, ends up winning best picture it's still going to be not as watched as something like Parasite. It's just not going to get that kind of reach. So I am not sure like saying it's a noble effort, um, particularly works for me, um, but it is pretty, you know, <laughs> the mountain shots are great. You know, uh, it's amazing cinematography. Um, and I do think it is interesting that it's based on a nonfiction book, if I'm, uh, remembering correctly yeah it is which yeah which is um lends itself more to a doc um maybe if I don't know <laughs> it just it's not something that I will personally ever be able to like change my mind on well I think if it dropped on Hulu it I mean I'm sure people who have that subscription service will like come across it and watch it but I, I agree that this isn't a film for like the average person. Like I think if the average person just happened to stumble upon this on Hulu, they'd watch it for like a few minutes and be like, okay, this is boring and turn it off. So I don't know. Yeah. It, it feels like it might get just get like buried on Hulu and only like film people will watch it. I mean, I don't, yeah. I mean, this is clearly, I mean, just in like, even if this fucking, you know, was available for free and everyone's home and it was the first thing they saw it's such a slow movie like yes this is for film people undeniably number one I think you just kind of get into the conversation then of like the point of film and like I don't know if I'm judging Chloe Jaw for making like a small like slow film because that's just her as a filmmaker until she makes Eternals very curious what she does with that film um but also like if you portray these people and you portray this and you get the filmmakers to learn and care about these people 
then the filmmakers will probably make another film about them. And continually, and if it becomes more of a mainstream conscious like identity that these people exist and that they're out there, other filmmakers could make films about them. Like, I don't know. I just, I don't judge this film as much as everyone else does. And even though, yes, it's not necessarily the most universal experience, like, you know, anything, I think just starting the conversation is an important point. And I think Nomadland does that. But I also think it's completely valid to not see that point. Like, this isn't a, like, hill i'm like oh i'm objectively right and i'm gonna die on like it's just how i see it if you see it a different way i think this is one of those conversations like yeah completely valid i can't really argue i can just give my perspective yeah no i think that's uh totally fair and it's like i do think that there will be an interesting thing to see moving forward and also when the movie was made it wasn't expecting to get the kind of you know reception it's getting now so in that lens you do have to think it's uh, it would be curious to know if the original thought was that it would be as awards winning as it was, or if it, they thought it would just be a small pre-Eternals project. Because um, when it hit TIFF, I believe, it really yeah. blew up. Um, and before that, it wasn't really on anyone's radar. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it is undeniably helped by the fact that, like, there's no other award season films that are, like, good, right? Like, this is such yeah. a slow year that, like, yeah, this film broke out. I don't I don't know if it, it probably would be bigger than The Rider, considering you have Francis McDormand. But, like, I don't know if the expectation would be, like, best picture winner. I also think that literally just because this came out so far into, like, COVID, quarantine, lockdown, what you want to call it people have not been able to travel and even though Frances McDormand is like a poor van person and she still gets to like move around I would love to just fucking go in a van and move around the country right now because I'm bored as shit it's like a nice way to like I don't know I feel like it's like any movie with like traveling right now I think people are like like a bit more than they usually would. I cannot describe how yeah, much no, I, I would pay right now to sit in the middle of a desert with a bunch of old people after driving for a while and eat like the vegan chili they're serving. Like I just want to be there. I just want that. Yeah. And shit in a bucket. <laughs> <laughs> Five gallon, three gallon, or seven gallon. I'll take any of them. <laughs> Listen, I, mean... I could do an entire podcast on why that particular scene is insane and really <laughs> the first time I, I even wrote Carson um I was like I I had to turn it off for a while I was like I can't do this it just it hits me in a way not because of what it is it just feels so and I guess that goes back to what I was talking about that it's Francis McDormand acting like a poor person it just like I can see them being on set and they're like in this scene you're gonna shit in a bucket and you're gonna like make a lot of weird faces and we're gonna sit on it for a really long time it's just like <laughs> like the whole it pulls me out of the movie in a way that you're like this is definitely a film <laughs> like this was made <laughs> by people and they thought out we're gonna have the bucket shitting scene <laughs> I also feel like if you've lived in a van that long, you'd probably have like a better toilet system because I, for one, am obsessed with like rich white kids doing van life because I would like to be a rich white kid doing van life. I don't have $20,000 to spend on like a 1974 Westphalia, but they do. So I live vicariously through them. Um, and they have like fairly good setups for like showering and things like that. And it's not like you need a lot of money for those things because most people like redo their vans with like a few thousand dollars. And like my family would go camping a lot and like we had a very small toilet and we would shit inside our trailer, but we had like a little toilet and you could clean it out. We did not shit in buckets. And it was like a very 
tiny, cheap toilet. So why doesn't she have one of those? Why do you have to make it grosser than it actually is? The bucket seems like the worst <laughs> possible option. It really exactly. seems horrendous in every, like in the action of actually taking a shit in it. And then also like, it just doesn't. I would rather just shit outside. I've done that oh, several times. <laughs> I can't believe we're getting uh, up on this scene. <laughs> I, I really think it's indicative of the whole film. Like it really is the scene to me that's like, this is the movie. It's them going yeah. like, look how bad this life is. And we're actually, we're all talking about like better options because she, the, she chose the worst option to make you go like, oh my God, is this what poor people are like? Oh, this is horrible. It's like, she probably doesn't like, I bet if you ask Swanky who is still alive, um, <laughs> what she does, she does not shit in a bucket when she like, feels bad she exactly what Alina's talking about um the other thing I think uh we haven't really gotten into is Amazon which is uh much like New York and Gossip Girl a main character in the film um which I find really interesting especially since Amazon didn't release this movie <laughs> which it is a hero in this film almost <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's one of those like weird kind of nuanced conversations that like you can have is like what Amazon provides for people. I mean, it's just, it's weird. I, I almost feel like it's kind of, it's weird because I feel like it is a very, it paints a very like specific picture of Amazon without actually showing like the nuance behind it. But it is a curious choice. I mean, especially because like it is Amazon. They show the logo, they show everything like it's there. Well, it definitely feels like Amazon, as exploitative as it is, is also like a savior to a lot of people in communities yeah. like that. Like, um, I'm not sure if it's like this in like other places, but like in Ontario, for example, I remember like a year or two ago, there was like rumors of like Amazon building like a plant somewhere and like cities were fighting over it because like they know how many jobs it like creates. And like, I think we have like one built in Ottawa, like really far outside Ottawa and now we were getting like another one built right now and everyone's like oh my god we're gonna be employed by Amazon great which is amazing for like them because you know COVID it's very hard to find jobs here but also see again that's like is it, it's a trade-off I think like we have to like come to terms with as a society like Amazon's incredibly shitty to its employees but like also it gives people jobs like which one do you you know how do you balance that it's it's tricky yeah, and when a lot of people are in fortunate circumstances, they're just going to, like, take whatever they can get. And right now, that's usually Amazon, considering how many people order packages and just find convenience in ordering things online. I will say there is that TikTok person who works for Amazon who, like, shows them, like, doing the boxes up, and it looks like that part of the job looks incredibly fun on TikTok, to be very, like, not saying it <laughs> actually is, but, like, on TikTok, they make it look very fun. I haven't come across that guy, but I also find, have you seen those people on TikTok that like get unclaimed mail and it's usually Amazon packages? Yeah. That is so weird to me. Wait, did you guys hear that like rumor slash story about how like apparently Chloe Jaw has like a billionaire father and apparently it's not true now? Yeah, she came out and was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, I feel like that definitely, um, that false story Um definitely added to the poverty porn thing because if she's like a billionaire's daughter making a movie like this that makes it look like a thousand times worse than it is in my opinion totally it's weird that if she was rich she'd be making these <laughs> tiny little films pull a max she's landis sad. make some big shit you know come on she could be like one of those people who are like oh my parents are rich but i want to make it my own way she That's she's definitely like from 
like uh she definitely comes from the nyu school um of filmmaking which i don't like she's yeah, definitely I mean, yeah. rich I'm reading her early life she, section. She's rich as shit, for sure. <laughs> there you go, right. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like I not billionaire rich. <laughs> her so dad literally owns a steel company in China. That's like state-owned. <laughs> that sounds like a pretty big steel company to me. And then he married an actress. She went to boarding school in London. You know who goes to boarding school? Rich bitches. <laughs> I mean, I still really like Chloe Zhao. I've not seen any of her other movies, but I get, I do like Nomadland. I just also enjoy criticizing things. Sure. Um, and also, actually, Carson, you just said she doesn't make big movies. She's making an MCU <laughs> film. <laughs> well, sure. But MC, they'll take anyone at this point. That doesn't matter. That's like, true. She's so noble doing these movies about poor people and immediately going to Marvel. What do you guys think Eternals is going to be like? Like, I mean, it's already made, I, okay. right? Like MCU, oh. every film is made like four years before the director even signs theory. on. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I have a theory that Nomadland would like she lucked out with COVID because I think Eternals will be okay. And I think it would have hurt Nomadland. Like, very clearly, like, it would have come out right at Oscar, like, build-up season. Everyone would been like, eh. It's the same thing that happened with uh, Wonder Woman followed by Justice League. Um, where people were like, Wonder Woman could have a chance at the Oscars. And then Justice League came out, same character, you know, same type of thing that it kind of sunk a bit of Wonder Woman's chances. So I think if Eternals had come out, I do not think we'd be having the same conversation. Um, I think it'll just be a big fine. I don't think it's going to be the greatest Marvel movie. Um, yeah, most I of think the stories aren't that good anyway. I'm fascinated it's, to see what Chloe Jaw does in this universe. Because like her filmmaking style is so specific and it's so not mainstream. And now she's making a mainstream movie. So I'm just curious, like, will it feel like her movie at all? Or will it just feel like I'm just, I'm just curious. <laughs> I was going to say uh, that it, I think it's going to be like Kenneth Branagh, who has a very strong uh, directorial style. Mm-hmm. And then it's kind of a bit of a mush when it gets mixed with Marvel. And then the second one was even more so. And then he pieced out and Taika Waititi came in. Um, well, he had to turn I think the people... to Artemis Fowl, the masterpiece. Yeah. Uh, which I think was Disney messing with it because um, that would have been a great, it should have been a great movie. But um, yeah, I think it's just going to be MCU style. Like this Matt, like, I think there will be, like, two great sequences that'll feel like her style, and the rest will just feel like MCU, especially plotting-wise. But uh, go ahead, Alina. Sorry about yeah, that. Yeah, well, I was going to talk about Taika, too, and, like, Ragnarok. And, like, I love Taika Waititi's movies. Like, I think I've seen almost all of them um, by this point. And, like, Ragnarok, for example, it still very much feels like an MCU movie with, like, a bit of his influence sprinkled in. Like, definitely his humor is in Ragnarok. So I think... It's like Eternals, it's definitely going to feel like, obviously it's going to have to feel like it's part of the MCU and maybe we'll see like tidbits of Chloe Jaw's style, but it's not going to like be anything like she's done before. I hope they have shit in a bucket. I don't think they'll shit in a bucket. Maybe an outhouse. I don't know anything about the Eternals, honestly. No, me neither. (laughs) So I'm not, I don't, maybe in the comics they shit in buckets. Maybe that's something they do. I don't know. Could be. 
I mean, aren't they aliens? I think aliens are more advanced than shitting in buckets. Are they? I don't know. I'm pretty sure they're aliens. <laughs> <laughs> they're space gods, I believe. Um, no, they're definitely not shitting in yeah. buckets. <laughs> <laughs> well, it could be a very nice bucket. It could be like a golden bucket. <laughs> or, or just in the background, it's just Francis McDormand again in a cameo. <laughs> My tweet this week promoting this episode is like an ungodly amount of time talking about shitting in buckets. Yep. <laughs> Alina, do you have a question of the week already planned or? Um, I don't know. Maybe like okay. which MCU character is most likely to shit in a bucket. Oh, that's a good one. I was going to ask what your, ba- okay. Question of the week, pick one. Which MCU character shits in a bucket or what's your band name? Drunk Iron Man, most likely to shit in a bucket. It's the Hulk. I mean, I don't know why this is a question. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) One Hulk, one bucket. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, what was the other question, Carson? What was your name of your van going to be? Oh. Vanguard is so good from Nomadland. Just Also, people shitting on the movie Vanguard's a great name. Van Halen. Ooh. I wouldn't name it that, but that's a good one. That's a good oh, one, though. Good. So we just had a conversation about people exploiting other people. Let's on move on to a movie about that. It's I Care A Lot on our favorite distributor, Netflix. Good morning, Miss Peterson. I'm sorry to disturb you so early. The court has ruled that you require assistance in taking care of yourself. <laughs> I'm fine. I'm afraid it's not up to you to decide. The court has appointed me to be your legal guardian. What? You have to come with me. And remember, I'm here to help. In I Care A Lot, a court-appointed legal guardian defrauds her older clients and traps them under her care. But her latest mark comes with some unexpected baggage. Alina, why don't you saw why don't you start this off? I believe you saw it at TIFF. I didn't watch that TIFF. Um, it was only for like people who were like approved for press, and I got an industry pass, so I did not watch it. So I watched it when it came out, like all of the other peasants. Um, I watched it on Amazon Prime in like Canada and the UK and like a few other ter- territories. It's an Amazon Prime movie. So like when I went on Netflix and I searched I Care A Lot, it wasn't there and I panicked. I was like, oh my God, but it's on Amazon Prime. So like, why? I've never heard of like a Netflix movie also being a Prime movie. Coming in clutch for Francis McDormand and Alina looking for I Care A Lot. Thank you, Amazon. Like, it's confusing. Anyway, that's not relevant to the movie, really. Okay, so the movie, it's like Rosamund Pike being a huge fucking cunt. And I'm sorry if you don't like that word, but like that is the best word to describe her. She's a massive cunt in this movie. Oh my God. Her like job is to be like a professional guardian for like elderly people with like no family. And she like is such a fucking bitch. She like convinces, she's like friends with psychopath doctors and they like make it seem like old people who are like totally fine and independent and like able to care for themselves. Um, They make it appear to the courts that like they can't. And then the court like appoints Rosamund Pike guardian of these people because like they don't have like anyone else to like be their legal guardian for some reason. And then she just fucking like defrauds them of all their money. And she does it with somebody who happens to be like affiliated with a mob boss and things go fucking crazy. Anyway, she's just a huge fucking cunt who defrauds old people. And I didn't like it because I love old people. 
and like my cute little grandpa who passed away two years ago he was 91 he was perfectly capable of taking care of himself and luckily we have like a big family to like look after him even though he was perfectly fine taking care of himself and just the whole time I was watching like if this happened to any of my grandparents I would lose my fucking mind and I think that's why I got so mad at Rosamund Pike in this movie I'm rambling like crazy she did a very good job she did a very good job in this movie to make me hate her this much um i do think first off the script is very underwritten it's like shockingly underwritten uh to the point that it feels like a first draft and every voiceover that rosamund pike does this entire film feels like he watched the uh cool girl speech from gone girl and was just like i need something that people put on twitter as much as this and like every single one is just like the weakest version of it uh, continuing to use this lion metaphor that doesn't really work um, she's a lioness just, actually right <laughs> sorry she's a fucking she's a lioness <laughs> yeah that's at the beginning but later she continues on with like are you a gazelle or something or a lion and i'm like oh my god shut up which really sucks because Rosa and Pike is selling the entire performance and even those speeches and it's just it's bad writing like yeah um it's it feels like a Netflix movie and I don't think it is an original I think they just bought it um it needed a lot more work um in the scripting phase um I think that a lot of casting choices were weird outside of Rosamund um I don't think that uh Peter Dinklage really works for that role I really love him but uh he's got this friendly aspect to his personality that he never quite shakes and they have him doing some very like bizarre looking things at points um like when he was doing the workouts that Peter Dinklage clearly cannot do um, it was just like he just very few people can um it was just it's a weird choice uh, it just feels like a mishmash of a movie that like is so close to being something that I would absolutely love I'll say as far as career trajectories definitely better than the fifth wave which was his previous directorial outing um, I agree pretty much for the most part. I think the performances are really where this shines. I like Peter Dinklage a lot, but yeah, I mean, clearly Roseman Pike is the MVP here. She is so unlikable, but so at the equally, you know, charismatic and so personable. It really is like just tons of fun I had with her character, which is kind of weird to say considering the content of the film, but I was just having a blast with it. Um, but yeah, anytime it tries to be something more in these voiceovers and stuff, it doesn't work. This clearly is a film that tries to have the style to be like, oh, it's really important. It's saying something poignant when it's really not. Like this isn't really saying anything of like super value. This doesn't have necessarily like a realistic like portrayal of this care system that's like it's a real thing Britney Spears you know is going through it right now and that's probably the most relevant example of it all but like it's not realistic in that sense so you're not really making a real commentary about that um it, it's just a fun movie like it's a fun really greatly stylized film but anytime it tries to be more yeah it's just kind of empty 
Uh, the biggest part that annoyed me was the ending. There is multiple points where this film could have faded to black and had a really great ending, but they continue to push five, 10 extra minutes. That was just completely unneeded. I didn't need like the solid conclusion this film brings you to. And I don't think like it clearly tries to have like a poetic ending. I don't think it's that good. Um, I would have much rather them just fade to black at multiple points and kind of leave it up in the air as far as what happens next. Um, but still, I had a lot of fun with this film. I could see myself revisiting this. Um, it, it's just, it's it's weirdly a lot of fun for like being a film that's supposed to be so like gross and kind of nasty. But I mean, like, I think it's accomplishing what it's trying to do at the same time. I think this film is definitely helped by what is happening to Britney Spears right now. Because with Braming Britney Spears just coming out, which granted I have not seen, but I've seen everybody like talk about it conservatorships are like a very hot topic right now and obviously that's not something they planned for when they were like releasing this movie but like it's very lucky for them um I don't know I was I liked the ending because I was just very satisfied that like again I'm so sorry that is spoilers <laughs> I also agree that like how we're just gonna have to cut <laughs> yeah it's okay just, um Peter Dinklage is a weird choice for sure. And it's also just like a very, him being like a Russian mob boss is just like a very cliche thing because like Russian mob bosses are the bad guys in like every fucking movie, you know? Yeah, it does feel, it's just, it's it's a first draft. And I, I like, you know, I play around with writing and you can feel it there's like points where you're like oh this would have been massaged out someone would have given notes on this and this and this and I don't know if he needs a co-writer or something but it's just most of what happens in this film just feels rushed even the um there's a sequence where something happens to Rosamund Pike from Peter Dinklage and then it immediately happens to her girlfriend and the same ending happens both times the same uh um outcome so it just feels like okay and then okay and there's no consequences which just there's no uh filmic quality to it almost <laughs> and i really enjoyed watching the movie it's just not like it's like very poorly written in a way that like, i haven't really seen in movies recently like they're massaged out enough by corporate that like they're all just like fine. This feels very like just loose. It has a bigger budget than the script would lead you to believe. <laughs> Go to, ahead. Me, to me, it feels like that um, there's not really any consequences for Rosamund Pike's character throughout the film. And I think that like helps her whole thing about how she always has to win because she thinks she's going to win at every single moment. She has an answer to everything that um, Peter Dinklage and I don't know the actress who plays like the elderly lady in this um, and waste yeah sorry I I forgot her name I'm so sorry yeah um that like Diane Weist and Peter Dinklage are throwing at her Rosamund Pike has like an answer for everything like every time she gets a setback she fixes it by like doing something else crazy so I don't know I think it even though they there's like no consequences I think that like fits her thing about always having to win it adds to that to me also, Dan Weiss, just continuing that bit, is having a phenomenal, like, low, like, low-key year. I think she was the best part of Let Them All Talk, which is a film I really enjoyed. No one else saw, and anyone else who saw hated. 
Um, I think she was fantastic there. And I think she's fantastic here. I mean, I think this film overall, really what it boils down to is I think it's just like iconic fun that has like a little bit of depth and a little bit of like seriousness. But it kind of reminds me of a simple favor in that sense of like, it's weird to me that this is getting like an award season push with like film festivals. Cause it doesn't feel like that. It feels like in a normal year, this would come out in September in theaters, not really have any buzz. It's more of like, it has quality. It's not a shitty film. But like, this is just meant to be like an iconic fun time at a theater that like people remember and people will revisit unless you're review bombing it and you think it's shitty just because there's women in it who, you know, are there um, being women. Um, I I don't think this is meant to be like an award season contender, which is where they're positioning it, which feels weird to me. But like, I can still have fun. It's just, it's an iconic film, but it's not like a great film. Um, Going back to what you just said about it being a woman. I was literally sitting there because um, I watched it with a friend um, and she kept texting me that she hated Rosamund Pike. And I was thinking about it and I was like, if this was like Al Pacino or something doing the exact same thing, like I do not think that it would have any sort of backlash. Um, it was interesting. I I recently watched um, The Godfather for the first time, which was, you know, something that I needed to do for a while. But it was... I felt like that the entire time watching The Godfather. I was like, I have no interest in these people. They're just garbage people. So it's interesting, uh, you know, and you can talk about the misogynistic aspects, but it is just interesting that like <laughs> people are having such a strong uh, reaction to Rosamund Pike when she's almost, I would guess, probably less bad if you like, put it together with um her character in gone girl um you know it's (laughs) she at least doesn't murder people um so it's just it's interesting that um people are you know doing review bombing which is feels like the new thing and um kind of makes me curious if movies that are a little more uh controversial possibly Uh, we'll start avoiding Netflix because same thing with cuties. It seems to be so many people who are on, everyone's on Netflix that they can't take risks without getting a backlash, like um, something on Hulu could. The, The bizarre thing about I Care A Lot is it makes Peter Dinklage character a literal fucking mob boss out to be the good guy. Like as I was watching the movie, like Rosamund Pike's was such a cunt that I was like, okay, I want Peter English to win. Not considering that he is a literal Russian mob boss. And there's like a point when he, his character is like first introduced and he's looking at like pictures of like drugged, battered women who are definitely implied to be like sex slaves and things like that. He's a really, really bad dude. Why am I feeling sympathetic for him? It's kind of nuts. I mean, I feel like I more, more, more like feel bad for like Jennifer Peterson but because she is affiliated with Peter Dinklage, I feel bad for Peter Dinklage also. I was like, oh my God, I just want him to get his mom back. But he's a fucking psychopath human trafficker too. Not too, but like- well, Yeah, they're all evil. Bad. They're all bad. He's, all, he's bad too. It's, it's a movie full oh. of bad people. Also, wasn't uh, this whole period in time over like, um, like from the ending to the finale, isn't that like two years later or something like that? <laughs> How did she go from like kind of middle class to the richest woman on the planet? The like line that that guy said that he's like, you're in the top 1% of all people. I was like, 
how like even with his money it just it's there's aspects of this that just feel so fake mm-hmm. you know what i'm talking about yeah 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 when she's yeah and I, she has I don't that know. big wall of people <laughs> yeah i mean like do that many people really put their family members in like care homes i don't know maybe it's because i'm brown but that is not a thing for us or and if it is a thing for us it's like very bizarre and look down upon like one of my aunts she recently became a personal support worker and like we're Guyanese and like we're Muslim so like no our parents stay with us until like they die they are not going to a home no um so like when my like auntie Nazima told me like oh yeah there's a lot of like brown people that like I'm looking after I was like where are their families that's what do you mean they're in homes so I don't know I feel like it's a very like it's different like cultures because in my family and most other brown people we know like you don't put your family members in a home you look after them because they look after you I mean, going back to the review bombing thing as far as Netflix, like Cuties, I think is its own world, you know, not counting Cuties because I think that's, you know, its own thing. I think it's stupid that people like will not judge the movie based on what it actually is and judge it based on marketing from Netflix. But, you know, whatever with that film, you notice a pattern here, whether you're on Netflix or not on Netflix with this review bombing thing with I Care A Lot, Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, Wonder Woman 1984 continually seems and you can go film by film it seems like it tends to be women in the lead role and them trying to portray women as strong and then you go to the reviews and it's half star saying it's unrealistic and that they're shoving politics down your throat we're like i care a lot i don't think it's shoving politics down your throat at all i think it just has a strong woman um who's fucking evil who's a fucking bitch but like don't think it's necessarily trying to be like uh fuck met you know like and I think it's just continue like you start to see a pattern and you start to see, well, uh, in games, The Last of Us Part Two, which I didn't play, but I know the main character is a woman and they turn into a lesbian. Like I'm starting to notice a pattern. I'm starting to kind of think it maybe just be like might just be misogyny and not actually that these films are doing anything wrong. <laughs> the Last of Us Part Two is a terrible game, though. I'm just going to put that out there. I, like, I, I will defend it. most of those. Last of Us Part Two is dog shite. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's also, like, just because Rosamund Pike's character is, like, a bitch, like, I mean, she's allowed to be a bitch, like, why can't we have a movie about, like, an evil woman? Just going off the, like, Wikipedia page for, like, review bombing, looks like we have The Last Jedi, we have Batwoman, we have, let's see, Mulan, the 2020 remake, uh, the 2016 Ghostbusters film. Granted, a lot of these are not good movies, but, like, there also seems to be a, a, a line through them that you can find. Not to push any false narratives just a strong correlation i don't know i for one see a strong correlation (laughs) and yet you have like run hide fight a film from uh you know not not you know just random observations here a film about a school shooting from a conservative um production studio uh that ben shapiro supported and then that like gets review bombed in the opposite direction so it almost seems like it's a group of people here possibly yeah you know just throwing out wild conspiracy theories I just think review bombing is going to become like this new form of currency in the same way that, you know, uh, the less, I'm trying to think of the correct word, um, deserved canceling, um, where people just like pound on someone just because they, they can't. I mean, because uh, even you can look at something like uh, music, um, which obviously was not good, but... Uh, 
you go and read most of the reviews and people are like, I didn't see it, but, and it's like, that's not, okay. So <laughs> you're reviewing something and that's, it's kind of destroying film criticism. Like, oh, do yeah. not like it. Hate that film if you want, but reviewing something a half star that you haven't seen just kind of defeats the purpose of like what we're doing on Letterboxd or what, you know, uh, we're doing even now. Uh, we're discussing movies and it's like, oh, if it's just something that you personally dislike not having watched. And at the same time, you get like a film festival favorite that certain people, not to name names on Twitter, like, oh, I love this film. And then people just like, oh, I love it, but I haven't seen it, but I love it. And then you just get these like, cult mentalities and it's like destroying film criticism. I agree. I think it's the biggest issue with film criticism is people not being able to like ha- watch a movie, have their own thoughts and then talk about it and like articulate why they feel a certain way. It's just a- becoming a cult. It's becoming Jared Leto's cult. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think uh, someone on Letterboxd, um, and it, I have no clue what even movie it was about, but it was talking about the Letterboxd effect that if you see a movie and it has a 4.2 or above, you just have to assume you'll like it. And like you feel embarrassed clicking uh, against it. I definitely I, rated course, things slightly higher because I didn't want to be like bullied for not liking it as much as I did. Like sometimes I'll uh, get like a three star movie of four because like mm, everyone else gave it a four. <laughs> I don't do that anymore. That was when I first started. (laughs) I put a half star on uh, The Lighthouse last year. And that was the first time I've like had people like attack me in my entire life. And I was like, whoa. (laughs) Like, Like in the middle of the night, I woke up and I was like, my phone was blowing up with people just like, what are you talking about? And um, so after that, I was like, you know what? I can handle this. (laughs) Well, it's crazy. I I was at a press screening after I don't remember what it was, it was like last or two Decembers ago now. And people were just talking about like, oh yeah, like this is how many death threats I got from my Joker review. And it's like, people are getting death threats for like their thoughts on, it's crazy. It's, it's ridiculous. So like um, how sheltered is your life that you're getting mad that somebody doesn't like one of your favorite movies? Like if I really like a movie and somebody else doesn't like it, if it's like one of my friends, I'll be like, you're a fucking idiot. But if it's like a stranger, um, I'm not going to be like, you're a fucking idiot because they're a stranger. Who cares what a stranger thinks of like one of your favorite movies, you psycho? Like, I, I will say down. if someone, uh, if I was following anyone on Letterboxd and they gave um, Barb and Star two stars or lower, I did click unfollow. Oh, I just felt multiple, like I needed to do okay, that. It, there's multiple people from Clapper to that yeah. gave that. So be careful with what you're yeah. saying. <laughs> Oh, follow, you know what? If Fine. you unfollow They're me, you better gone. not. No. Um, okay. Give it a two and a half. Fine. Two? No. We're done. We're I done. was thinking it'd be a two and a half. So I, I'm safe. I'm safe from Paul's wrath. Um, I don't know. Like, who 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 gives a fuck? It's 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 just movies. It's it's really just movies. Like, if somebody hates your favorite movie, get the fuck over it. It's it's literally that simple. I mean, it's almost like you have a civil discussion. Like me and Paul just said, I'm at five stars. He's at one star for Nomadland. And like, we talked and we both articulated our points and we like, we're normal humans. As long as you can articulate why you think something, I don't give a fuck what you think. If you can't articulate or you articulate is like, I'm fucking racist. Like then I'm, you know, fuck off. Yeah. One of the things that's interesting is Macon Blair um, is playing a very clear, like Trump supporter in the movie. He's wearing like a red hat with like a abstract 
symbol on it, but your brain is supposed to assume it's Trump supporter. And he's kind of the hero and some, and like the audience like is supposed to sympathize, which I do think is like very interesting. Uh, just a choice in general. It's um, it reminds me similar of uh, the hunt from uh, last year where those, you know, that kind of group, got mad about a movie that was like you guys are the good guys it's just it's very interesting that people just are ready to be mad about things it's very interesting that that character is like implied to be a hero as well because there's a subtle part in the movie it's not subtle I don't remember what Rosamund Pike says but she like explains like why she got conservatorship over this guy's mother he was like terrible and like wasn't able to care for her either so like why is he a good guy because he wasn't able to care for his mother you know like every single person in this movie is a bad person literally every single person except maybe jennifer peterson i mean Who, like, no she's awful she's just a, oh, keep her like, on drugs she stopped like, i liked her she i was a, so it's so funny because i was house. so she's just all she's doing <laughs> is keeping her son secret like what what did she i did hate that? that they I did hate that they painted over her blue walls, which I that was really obsessed triggered with. Because I was a gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> it was yeah. a real moment for me, um, but I did not like her. And when she was talking about how she wanted to torture her at the old folks home, I was like, "Yes, do this. Ruin this woman's life." She really just did not sit with me well at all. But also, I was very into the girl boss aspect of uh, Rosamund Pike. Fuck off! I hate girl bosses. <laughs> Oh my god! Yo, there's that one scene really where funny... they fucking like hit them with a baseball bat, and then they're like in the stairway making out. I was like, yes, <laughs> fully behind. There's... Like, fuck these women, but also like, fucking go, like win, kill everyone. I saw a tweet the other day, and it was like, "Girl boss, gaslight, gatekeep," and it was the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. That is the best way to describe Rosamund Pike's character. She's just fucking girl bossing it. We haven't even talked about, I don't know how to say her name, Isa Gonzalez or something. Her, like, Fran. I loved her in yeah. this. Yeah. She, like, Iconic. She was so cute. I don't know. How do you say her name? She's in Baby Driver, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is weird because I literally looked at photos of her and I cannot see the same woman. She looks so different. Her hair in this I'm is like, very fluffy. So. <laughs> it's very that's, fluffy. That's, it's fluffy. <laughs> No, I agree. I thought she was great. And I think like, because Rosamund Pike, Pike is so great in this, she's getting overshadowed, but she was really good. I, I think her and Rosamund Pike were the best parts of this movie, acting wise, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think the cast, I mean, I don't know. I like Peter Dinklage, but it sounds like you guys are not as big of a fan, but whatever. Oh, no, I love Peter I like Dinklage. Him. I, just think he was, I just think he was miscast. I really, it feels like one of those things that the script was going around, Peter saw it, was like i'll be in this movie and they're like sure <laughs> why not it just yeah it's it was very like and i'd be curious to know if uh pike was signed on before the script was finished um or if they just happen to write this movie that's literally just you know aspects of gone girl again um and <laughs> she just wanted to do that again not as good as Gone Girl, though. I'll say Gone Girl is definitely better. Oh, though. no, Gone Girl is one of my favorites. Um, the book is better, but okay. Well, some uh, of us don't like to read. I say that as I a just yeah, watched no, Gone the, Girl this uh, morning, and I agree that it was great. 
and better than um, a lot. The twist in Gone Girl in the book is so upsetting that I launched the book across the room. Like oh in the gosh. movie, you're like, sure. But in the, like, you're like, oh, cool. In the book, you've read so long and you followed the story. And then that, that moment, you're just like, oh, I was so mad. I was mad for days. <laughs> and before we go any further, let's hear a word about the sponsor for today's episode. Okay, well, let's transition over to the Golden Globes. We kind of talked about the nominees a while ago, but now, you know, this is the final episode before the Golden Globes happen. Well, let's just go through category by category, give our predictions. Let's start out. Let's just go from the bottom and go up. We're only going to cover film because I don't fucking know any of these TV shows. So, yeah. best foreign language film, Another Round, La Llorona, The Life Ahead, Minari, and Two of Us. What are you guys thinking? Um, I have only seen another round, so I guess I have to vote for that one out of like, you know, because I really liked it and I love Mads Mikkelsen. I think it's a 50-50 split between it and Minari. Um, I really don't know which, like, honestly, I could see him going both ways, but I'm guessing because of the backlash, it'll go Minari. Yeah, feels like probably Minari here. Another round, I didn't not. Well, I'd, I was actually not a big fan of either film. I would much prefer like La Llorona. I've not seen two of us. I need to see that. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's probably going to be Minari, I would say. But it could be another round. If another round wins here, I mean, I would say lock in for Oscar for sure. Uh, best animated feature film, The Crude's A New Age, Onward, Over the Moon, Soul, and Wolfwalkers. Paul, who's winning? Uh, I'm going to go Wolfwalkers. I think that they're going to uh, go out of the show for a overall of that studio and it's the last of their trilogy of the irish films so i think that there is a chance that um it's the hollywood foreign plurus i also could see soul but i'm gonna say wolf walkers i also think it's gonna be wolf walkers purely because they did um give the golden globe to missing link that year over a pixar movie so it seems like the golden globes are more likely to not go to pixar because pixar always wins it but, you know, it's definitely possible Soul would. I also do really like Over the Moon, though. I wish that had more of a chance because it was really cute. Well, I'm going to be the little bitch and I'm going to say Soul. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I I would much prefer Wolf Walkers. Um, it really, I think, needs this win to, like, even stand a chance anywhere else. Um, but I think it's going to be Soul. I feel like the hype for Wolf Walkers has dropped dramatically. But Golden Globes mm-hmm. proves me wrong. Prove me wrong. If anyone will, I'm sure you will. Mm-hmm. Next up, best original song, You Have Fight For You by Judas and the Black Messiah. Hear My Voice, The Trial of Chicago 7, Scene from The Live Ahead, Speak Now from One Night in Miami, and Tigress and Tweed from the United States versus Billie Holiday. Um, I'll start us off here. I think this is also, I'll just quickly say, a remarkably weak year for best original songs. Going through these, I cannot name like the beat or tune of a single one of these. Normally, you have at least a couple that are like standouts, and I know every year is not going to have Shallow. But like, you know, at least have a couple good songs. Um, I, I don't know. I couldn't tell you what any of these sound like. I'm probably just going to go speak now from One Night in Miami because that's the one I like recognize the most. But I don't think I, I, I this could really go anywhere, I would say. I have seen most of these movies. And I have no idea what any of these songs are. It is very sad that in 2020, the only memorable song I have in my brain is Wuhan Flu. Yeah. So I don't know. I guess I will not answer out of principle because I don't know what any of the fucking songs are. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with Edgar's Prayer from Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. <laughs> no, uh, 
I think I'm going to have to go with you as well on speak now, but it, yeah, it is a weak year, um, I, which is shocking. Um, I really feel like I expected more. <laughs> like I really expected to look at the list and be like, oh, okay, at least one of those. I know none of these I can recall, even within the movies. And I'm guessing they're all credit songs. Yeah. Um, which I thought we were done with. A couple of years back, I thought we had moved on from credit songs. They had to be inside the movie, but. That one song from Over the Moon that like the Moon Goddess sings, I remember that song too. Why is that there? That's a good song. Yeah, that's a good one. I haven't seen Over the Moon. It's the so one... cute. It's good. Watch it's good. it purely for their fucking rabbit. I love that rabbit so much. Cutest character <laughs> of 2020, easily. Yeah. Uh, best original score. You have Soul, Mank, News of the World, The Midnight Sky, and Tenet. Uh, Lena, who you got? Um, again, I have not seen any of these except for Tenet, and I don't want to vote for Tenet at a principal because I could barely hear that fucking movie. So, uh, 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 none. <laughs> <laughs> Paul? I'm going to go with Soul. Um, I think it is the most likely, which may hurt my uh wolf walkers but <laughs> where we're at uh i'm gonna go mank but i would not be shocked if soul and mank split the votes because it's both resner and ross and it goes to like someone else randomly i mean alexander desplat is here from the midnight sky i think they like him so like you know could go there but i'm gonna go mank uh best screenplay promising young woman mank the trial of chicago seven the father and nomadland uh paul Favorite Nomadlands here. Are you going to go for that? No, I think it, I think it goes Sorkin. Um, but I wish it went to the father, but it won't because the world is not fair. I also, I'd stop going to trial the Chicago 7. Like, it has to. Yeah. Best director. We have Emerald Fennell for Promising Young Woman, David Fincher for Mank, Regina King for One Night in Miami, Aaron Sorkin for The Trial of Chicago 7, and Chloe Jaw for Nomadland. Uh, I think this is actually more competitive than people are thinking. I think it could go to Aaron Sorkin, could go to David Fincher, could go to Chloe Jaw. I don't think it's going to go to Regina King or Emerald Fennell. Sorry. Uh, I'm going to say it's mm-hmm. it's hard because like they're also sexist. So like Chloe Jaw has had the industry support so far, but these people are sexist. So I'm going to go David Fincher. I'm going to go Fincher. This one, this is probably the hardest one. I I think this one goes to Chloe because it will knock it off their radar and they can give their award to Nomadland and move on to uh, the best picture. I think this will be the sacrifice for them in their minds. That's exactly my thoughts too. Like, I think they're going to do this because... No, Midland is not going to win Best Picture. Interesting. It'll make them look good too, because Golden Globes gets like really, really heavy criticism. Yeah, this is true. Mm-hmm. For Best Supporting Actress, hey, a woman's guaranteed to win this one at least. You have Glenn Close for Hillbilly <laughs> Elegy, Olivia Coleman for The Father, Jodie Foster for The Mauritanian, Amanda Seyfried for Mank, and Helena Zengel for News of the World. Uh, Alina, who's winning? I have not seen any of these yet. I've been severely slacking with the Golden Globes and I need to watch like so many movies before the award show next week. I don't know. I hear a lot of people talking about Amanda Seyfried and she's the one I hear talking about most. So I'll pick her. Paul? Uh, this is this is the Golden Globes. It's number one, a party. Second, an award show. Uh, I think they go with Olivia Coleman for the speech that she's going to give. And 
being the best performance of those. Uh, but I could also see Glenn Close. Uh, I don't think Seyfried has a chance because she's not famous enough. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going Glenn Close here. Um, but Olivia Coleman, they love Olivia Coleman. I believe she's undefeated here. And I also believe she's nominated for the crown. So I think it's a very possible she wins for the crown and the father. But I'm going to go Glenn Close. Uh, best supporting actor. We have <laughs> Sasha Baron Cohen for The Trial of Chicago 7. Daniel Kaluuya for Judas and the Black Messiah. Jared Leto for The Little Things. Bill Murray for On the Rocks. And Leslie Odom Jr. for One Night in Miami. Uh, Paul, who's winning? I mean, <laughs> it's a it's such a weak year. Um I think there's a chance for Leto, actually. Um, but... Isn't that the saddest thing? Tragic. <laughs> um, but I guess I'm going to go Leslie Odom Jr. Alina? Um, I could definitely see Leslie Odom Jr. winning it. I also think Daniel Kaluuya has a chance. Um, I pr- I'm really praying to God Jared Leto doesn't win. Because the little thing's terrible and he is terrible in that movie. Why the fuck is he getting awards awards recognition? It's literally insane. Literally insane. I just how many how many of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association members are in Jared Leto's cult? That's what I want to know. That's what I'm hoping for. I'm going Jared Leto. I believe in the cult. I believe in <laughs> no. you. This is the start. It's the start of the journey towards the Oscar. Jared Leto for the little things. I'm I would just be depressed about it, so I'm reclaiming it as a joke I'm in for. Jared Leto for the little things. Let's go, Colt. Let's go. <laughs> I really want like a huge like New York Times expose about Jared Leto's cult and all the famous people in it. Oh yeah, and I'm, then uh, I want it. Adam I mean, McKay can make a movie a about thing, that. I love it. Adam yeah. McKay can make a movie in five years, like how the cult infiltrated Hollywood. It'd be great. And then we can have the end of one time in <laughs> Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where you just have Leonardo DiCaprio kill the cult in Hollywood. It'd be great. He's like oh, literally. God. Charles Manson number two. I would not be surprised if Jared Leto like does some Charles Manson ass mur- murder. Oh yeah, totally do it. People are focusing on Army Hammer. You need to focus on Jared Leto. I'm he sorry. Jared Leto is a threat. I'm... Okay, wait a second. I love how you guys are talking about either of them when Shia LaBeouf is out there shooting dogs. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. He's like the dark horse. I don't know. I could totally see Jared Leto murdering somebody. Like oh, I'm yeah. 100% serious. Not murdering somebody, getting his like teenage girl fans to murder somebody just like Charles Manson. I can totally see it. Oh yeah. It's happened before. And he I mean, looks like Charles Manson. It's I like, would probably listen to Jared Leto if I lived in Los Angeles. It's low-key a joke, but also like he's legitimately a cult leader. Like it just is a yeah. thing. Like he's public like, about it. Everyone's like, he's just a cult leader. It's weird. <laughs> like the words are coming out of my mouth and I'm not sure if I think they're a joke or not you know? Yeah, no, genuinely. It's plausible. <laughs> I just, okay. it's so strange that we just have a modern day cult leader and, you know. It's fucking I, weird and nobody's questioning it. No. I don't see anybody like concerned about it. I heard it as a rumor once and I think we talk about it all the time on here because it's so insane, but nobody else talks about Jared Leto being a cult leader. No, they've Why accepted it. Why is it just it. us? It's weird. I don't get weird. it. Moving on to Best Actress, Maria Bakalova for a subsequent movie <laughs> film, Kate Hudson for music, Michelle Pfeiffer for French Exit, Roseman Pike for I Care A Lot, and Anya Taylor-Joy for Emma. Uh, I'll Wait, start here. Uh, oh. uh, I was just going to say, you've been jumping between comedy and drama, and you haven't been specifying. So you just read the comedy one, but then just did the drama. For Best Comedy, 
you, you get that. I'm sure the listeners will understand. I'll do that from here on out. Uh, yeah. Shockingly, though, Borat subsequent movie film, not a drama, in case you were curious. Uh, musical <laughs> comedy, I'm just reading up the Wikipedia page. I actually think this one's, well, I don't actually think this one's that tough. I think it's going to be Maria Bakalova for Borat subsequent movie film. I don't really think the rest stand a chance, if I'm being honest. Mm-hmm. Unless it's Kate Hudson, but like. Oh my God, please. Ooh, no. Please no. Uh, Paul, also give me your thoughts on French Exit because I know you saw that. I'm very, I've been curious since that day what you thought of it. I did not see it. Oh, um, that got canceled, and I'm very sad about it. And I tried to go yep. and see it. Um, so that was the end of that storyline. <laughs> um, I think it is awesome, Maria. Um, but I could also see, um, I could see Pfeiffer, or yeah, just Pfeiffer. I think could be a dark horse, um, but I think it's Maria. I, I agree. Like with how much hype she's been getting, she was so good in that movie. And especially with the whole Rudy Giuliani thing, we have to give it to her for having to endure that. <laughs> she had to like <laughs> stand in a room with Rudy Giuliani. I, I don't know, like the movie that much, girl. but I like she it. I thought it was it. funny, but yeah, she was so, she was really good in that. She's the best part of that movie for sure. Oh, yeah. People kept coming, though, for, like, Leo's campaign where, like, he got into a horse and he did all this shit in the wild. Maria Bakalova had to touch Rudy Giuliani. I think she (laughs) deserves it probably more than Leo did. (laughs) For continuing best musical or comedy, best actor, we have Sasha Baron Conan, this time for Borat's subsequent movie film, James Corden for The Prom, Lin-Manuel Miranda for Hamilton, Dev Patel for The Personal History of David Copperfield, and Andy Samberg for Palm Springs. Alina, you're going first here. Um... I literally have no idea with this one. Like, uh, okay. If it's Lin-Manuel Miranda, I'll be mad because Hamilton is not a fucking movie. James Corden, why is he in here? I don't know. I'm either going Deb Patel or Sasha Baron Cohen. I hope it's Deb Patel, but I don't think it will be. Paul? I think it's Lin-Manuel. Uh, what? Just... It's not a movie. <laughs> okay, but here's the thing. They've already decided it isn't at the Oscars, and so I think they'll go, eh, sure. Also, the fact that you look through the names and you're like, mm, no, no, no. I think it's, I think it's one. I think it's incredibly Big hard time. between Cohen and Miranda here. I'm also going to go this. Yeah. This one's just hard. I'm going to go Lynn, but I really could easily see it being uh, Sasha here, but I'm going to go Lynn also. Cause I, yeah, this one's hard though. Cause like no one stands out here. Cause like, I love Sasha Baron Cohen, but he's literally, he is just playing like Borat again. Best, moving on to drama, best actress. We have Viola Davis for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Andra Day for The United States versus Billie Holiday, Vanessa Kirby for Pieces of a Woman, Frances McDormand for Nomadland, and Carrie Mulligan for Promising Young Woman. Paul, who you got? I think it's Carrie Mulligan's, um, but I could also see Viola Davis to avoid a Golden Globe so white situation. Um, I think Carrie deserves it, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> Alina? I think it's going to be Frances McDormand. I would also love to see Viola Davis, though. I could see that happening for sure. I'm also going to go Viola Davis here, but I think it's probably going to be her or Mulligan or Dormand. If it's Dormand, I think that's a pretty big deal, actually, but we'll see. I, th- I think this this is one of the few competitive categories to me. Like, this is the one where I'm like, oh, I'm not sure. Yeah. Not sure. I also have not seen Promising Young Woman. Maybe I'll watch it tonight. I have to watch Make tonight. Like I, I'm trying to catch up on all these movies, but you know, 
it costs money. It costs money. Like, I don't want to pay another $19.99. Jesus Christ. Thanks on Netflix. No, but Promising Young Woman is not. Hey, as long as you get caught up by Oscars, I think you're doing okay. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I just, this is a tangent. I hate VOD. I don't want to pay $19.99 for a movie. It's bullshit. Because a movie ticket in Canada is, especially if you go on Tuesdays, $7. If you don't go on a Tuesday, $14. Why the fuck am I paying $19.99? You can watch we, it with friends, sure, Lena, though. I don't have friends. We are in a panoramic. A pandemic, uh, I think sure. you mean. A Panasonic. A, a Panda uh, Express. I think Carson will know this, too. I'm used to paying 15 a month to see any movie I wanted through AMC. Yeah. And so this is... Um, although, I broke the system with Barb and Star. <laughs> I bought it twice in a row. Back to back. Insane. Minutes after it. Because uh, my dad wanted to watch it for his birthday. And I was like, fuck it. I broke the machine. I have it for like the next month. <laughs> it's just sitting on my. So you're um, gonna watch it at least so, day. Yeah. Oh, I mean, like I'm trying to give it like a week. Um, I really wanted to watch it this week, but I was like, I'm gonna give it some time to where it's like funny again. I don't want to like overuse it because mm-hmm. it's like you know cocaine. You just you, but there's not more. There's not Barbie Star two that I can watch back to back. Absolutely. Um. I do think that Lionsgate again fucked up here because none of those comedies would be Kristen Wiig in this movie. <laughs> I think this would be a sweep for Barb and Star, and I think it's like Jamie Dornan wins. Like, <laughs> yeah, there's just there's nothing there's nothing in the comedy section really does stick out. Moving on to Best Actor in Drama, we have Riz Ahmed for Sound of Metal, Chadwick Boseman for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Anthony Hopkins for The Father, Gary Oldman for Mank, and Tahar Rahim for The Mauritanian. Uh, I I guess I'll start here. Obviously, I think it comes down to Boseman and Hopkins. I'm going to go Boseman. Uh, I think Boseman's just going to sweep. Like, I... I would prefer Hopkins. I think clearly he gives the best performance of the year, no matter what category you're looking at. Um, But I think Bozeman's probably just going to sweep. I have yet to see The Father because it's not like actually out yet. It's only been at film festivals, which I did not attend because depression. Um, (laughs) Also, I couldn't go to AFI because I'm not an American. Anyway, um, I would love it to be Riz Ahmed because Sound of Metal really meant a lot to me and I really loved him in that movie but it is definitely not going to be him it's definitely going to be Chadwick Boseman which is fine it's fine I'm going to go Hopkins um, I think that the fact that it is a uh, posthumous for Boseman will work against him at the Globes mm-hmm. um, I think that and Hopkins this is probably like his last big performance I we always say that but it does feel like it's getting close uh to where he'll probably retire so this does feel like a last hurrah kind of situation um so I could see him uh winning and it also the father being my uh favorite movie of the year last year uh does need a big push so you know what I'm gonna give it (laughs) I'm gonna give it that push in this uh now moving on to the big best picture categories first for musical or comedy the incredibly solid lineup of Borat subsequent movie film Hamilton music Palm Springs and the prom uh Lena why don't you start here who's winning best picture I think it has to be Borat like everything else is just like not good 
and like I liked Palm Springs but I don't think like voters would like Palm Springs I don't know I don't really know the mind of a Hollywood Foreign Press Association member I don't know I think it's, it's hard because there's no Jared Colt here or no Jared Leto here so there's no default for the cult I think it's gonna be uh, there is a, actually I I would uh push back against that Carson uh there is a cult and it's the Hamilton cult and <laughs> Hamilton will a hundred percent win um I I can't see any way it doesn't um everyone's seen it you don't even have to have watched the movie uh-huh. there's no reason to have watched the movie you know Hamilton if you saw the play all of these people have seen the the, the musical um it I just don't see it not winning it could be Borat but we're already post-Trump it feels dated it's from a different era I think it's Hamilton I fully agree with that statement I think it's going to be Hamilton I think this is their moment where they can have the spotlight of giving Hamilton best picture because it's not eligible at the Oscars this is like the only film from here that truly feels like a big like event this is like a real deal uh Borat had some buzz granted due to the Rudy Giuliani thing but I agree that's so in the past I think we're so done and our settlement is just like we want to move on from that time. I don't know if we're going to bring it back. And just seeing that film, I don't think it screams best picture. I think Hamilton's the only one here that kind of feels like that's a name who could win best picture, despite it being arguable that it's not a movie. You know, whatever. It's the Golden Globes. They don't care. Um, could also be the prom. Could also be music. To be fair, um, no. I don't. I, I'm the notes to the. I don't think the prom is, has any chance. Music maybe. But I don't think the prom has any chance. I think Meryl Streep not getting in hurts the prom. But I think the fact that music even is here says something that they really liked it because they had no buzz. No buzz. Mm -hmm. Everything was problematic about it. But they still, like, enough people liked it to where they nominated it. I think Mm -hmm. that says something. Uh, In mild defense of music, some of those dance sequences were pretty, like, like, to a voter... (laughs) <laughs> some of the dance sequences are great especially mountains uh, i thought was i was watching it i was like oh if this was the movie i would love this um nothing else but like it's sia and if you like sia uh, i also thought kate Hudson was fine in it like she was good she was just like a problematic movie yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. i think it's also a movie I, that says like it it has, it's trying to say something, right? Like there is at least some purpose, whether or not that purpose is good or bad, completely different discussion. It is saying something. I don't know if like Palm Springs is really saying something or the prom. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, Palm Springs is saying, I saw Groundhog's Day of you. Um, (laughs) So. (laughs) Yeah, that's why I don't think Palm Springs has any of a chance. I'm surprised it's here, honestly. Again, I did like it, but I'm surprised. There's a lot of things where I'm surprised it's here, honestly. The yeah. weird lineup, for sure. The it's entire kind of a joke. Is. It's crazy to be like, this is a Best Picture lineup. Because, mm-hmm. like, yikes. Yeah. And 2020 wasn't like, a bad year for film. There's good films they could have nominated. They just chose shitty films. Yep. In comedy, though? I feel like there was more than this. French Exit isn't here. I like French Exit. Everyone else hated it. That's true. Let them all talk. I would have liked that. No one else would have. But, you know, hey, I'll I'll take it. Uh, Care a lot isn't here. Emma isn't here. Personal History of David Copperfield. There's plenty of stuff here to make it. Yeah. uh, Personal History of David Copperfield is a real shocker to me, actually. Um, 
just it seems so pleasant that oh emma's not here yeah on the rocks isn't here that was uh, cool cool. what a weird lineup now that you're mentioning all of these why why did they pick these <laughs> anyway was one night in miami i forget if that one uh, uh, i think that i mean i okay. actually don't know which one that was in um conspiracy theory i would guess that there was a really great party that they did for uh music oh i'm sure yeah like that's the only thing that could because most of these movies were listed it's like yeah but how many people watched these (laughs) i feel like Um, apple could have done probably should have done something better for on the rocks i feel like that could have easily got in they like bill murray yeah no definitely so moving Uh, on um, oh continue Oh, yeah, I was going to say, so the last one. Oh. <laughs> Moving on to best drama picture. The Father, Mank, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, The Trial of Chicago 7. Uh, Paul, you seem very excited about this category. Who are you picking? I think it's Trial of Chicago 7, and I'll be like, yes, that's fine. I don't think Nomadland really has a chance, but I also think something weird could pop in. Um I would love to see the father show up here. It won't. Um, I will continue to say that for the rest of the Oscar season. Um, but I could also see something like Promising Young Woman, but I'm going to go with Tri- Trial of Chicago 7. Um, it just feels like a movie that uh, enough people will be like, sure. And then, because all of these are pretty okay um, in terms of like where they're sitting with people. Um, and this is not the ranked choices. So I think we're going to have uh, Elena. I think it's, yeah, I think it's either going to be Trial of Chicago 7 or Mank. And I think Trial of Chicago 7 is most likely because these are two movies that appeal to the elderly. Yeah, I think that it's going to be Child of Chicago 7. I think it's the most easy to digest here, most mainstream out of them. Um, the father is mm-hmm. incredible, but also you got to think these are old people. Do they really want a movie telling them like they're losing their minds? Like, you know, I think that's yeah. hard for some people to uh, digest. So I agree. It's going to yeah. be Child of Chicago 7 um, or Mank. Or, I mean, Nomadland could win here. It would, I don't think it'd be shocking if Nomadland did win. But mm-hmm. I think if Nomadland does win, it signals that it's like the heir apparent the oscars um because this is the crowd that would least vote for it um so hope not (laughs) so those are our predictions for the golden globes make sure to leave us yours on twitter or on clapper you can leave them in the comment section or tweet us um we'll be back next week to discuss the winners but that's next week uh to round up clappercast this week we like to always end on the crew's latest film recommendations i'll start us off i've not been able to watch like anything it's been a like very just watching stuff for the podcast watching stuff that uh other people don't have access to um so I, one movie I did watch because I just had the urge to rewatch it was 2007 Surf's Up. I think this is an animated masterpiece. No one fucking talks about this film. It is so fucking funny. It is a docuseries. Paul's making the best face I've ever seen with anything. It's a, do- it's a mockumentary about a penguin who goes and surfs and it's stupid, but it's so funny. I love this film. Uh, it's not like five stars. I gave it three and a half, but it's available on Netflix in America. I don't know worldwide, but I, I love this film. It is genuinely just like nostalgia for me. Uh, Paul, if you think my recommendation was shitty, why don't you give us yours? Um, 
I watched a bunch this month, but uh, nothing really stuck out to me. I'm going to go with, I didn't particularly like it, but Clute. Um, I think definitely will hit certain people right. I think it's something to check out. You will quickly know if you're in the mood for it or not. And if you're not, I would just recommend turning it off. But um, it's uh, Jane Fonda's first Oscar. It's um, Donald Sutherland. It's kind of a fun little like mystery, um, very 70s. Uh, but I, I think it's worth a watch. Um, it didn't hit me particularly right, but I think that there's a lot of people who will love it. Cool. And Alina? So the only non-podcast thing I've watched this week that was good was Gone Girl. And everyone's seen Gone Girl except for me prior to this morning. So I guess my recommendation has to be Gone Girl out of like principle, unless I like scroll all the way back to like November in my letterbox diary and like, no. So um, if you were a piece of shit like me, like me this morning and had not seen Gone Girl yet, you should watch Gone Girl. It's, it's just good. It's great. It that lives was- up to its hype yeah <laughs> that was like me i almost chose all about eve and i'm like i'm not gonna choose one of the greatest movies of all time <laughs> you know what you guys should watch i just one of the movies that shows up at the top of afi's best I just films of all don't time don't have a choice because all the things i watched this week were for the podcast or music and have i can't recommend any, music <laughs> have you read any good books have you seen any good tv um i'm still watching Shit's creek i'm on season four <laughs> And I started at the beginning of February. Isn't that psychotic? I'm going to finish by the end of the month. Oh, it's a good show. I hope Shit's Creek is going to sweep the Golden Globes in the, in the TV categories for sure. Yeah. I anyway, hope not. Shit's Creek and Gone Girl. You don't like Shit's Creek, Paul? the Emmys, they're going to. Me? No, I yeah. think the first couple seasons are great. Once he gets into a relationship, I find the show screeches to a halt. And is pa- is I it don't Patrick have... you're talking about? Yes. Okay, I just got you. Um, okay, yeah, you'll see. Uh, all yeah. of a sudden, the show like shifts gears, and it gets so sentimental, and that's not what I wanted from that show. And I, it's like if Seinfeld, if everyone all of a sudden got a heart, I'm just sitting there like, what the hell are these people now? Um, and I think that them rewarding the final season, I understand it's a overall, but uh, it just feels like uh, an insane choice to reward a show that doesn't hold up um it's also i i still have problems with that emmy sweep because it felt like people just voted down ballot instead of like actually thinking about it and that was worrying (laughs) we don't need movies where it's like oh this won everything or you know tv shows Mm -hmm. i mean i've not gotten to the point that you were talking about so maybe i will feel that way by the end of this week when i finish it's creep you'll see so, and next week see. when we talk yeah. about the sweep that they have at the golden globes you can be like fuck this yeah <laughs> so that's gonna be it for this week's episode of Clappercast. where can we find everyone on social media paul where can we find you uh at price like tag on twitter and letterboxd alina i'm at alina folds on twitter and letterboxd 
And you can find me on Twitter at BP underscore movie reviews or on Letterboxd, just Carson Tamar. And you can find the latest releases of film and television reviewed at www.clapperltd.co.uk and find our social links on Clapper at Facebook, Clapper LTD on Letterboxd and at Clapper LTD on Twitter. Make sure to rate, subscribe and follow us to be notified when the next episode releases every single Wednesday. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week to discuss all things cinema. 